Hello, hello, welcome to the Minnesota Bog Blog Slog, your guided tour through the swamp that is Minnesota's right-wing blogosphere. I'm your guide, Logan Carroll, and this week on the cast, we have a deep dive into imaginary left-wing violence at the recent Trump rally. I know it's been a few weeks since that happened, but they're still writing about it, so we're going to talk about it. First up, something that occurred to me last week was I didn't really talk about the connection between these different blogs, so I want to hit on that a little bit. Um, there are five we're focusing on. Four of them are super clearly connected. Start off with uh, Alpha News. Alpha News, uh, their executive director is a guy named Alex Karam, who also happens to be the president in, of uh, Freedom Club, which is a <laughs> it's a club for rich Republican donors uh, to get together and talk about what direction they want conservative politics in the state to take. By all appearances, Alpha News is just a project of Freedom Club. Their president is a former employee of the guy who founded and runs Freedom Club. Their treasurer is another employee. Um, And they are lockstep with Freedom Club on all issues political. So that's Alpha News. Now, Moving on to Deplorable Housewives of the Midwest, they were founded by three women. Um, Two of them were former staff writers for Alpha News. The third woman is named Susan Richardson. Now, uh, she served on Ted Cruz's Minnesota leadership team during the 2016 election before he dropped out of the primary. Um, She served on that committee with the founder and leader of Freedom Club. Um, again, not a definitive connection, but they're definitely moving in the same circles and are clearly connected to Alpha News as well. Now, the third outlet uh, that I'm talking about is Center of the American Experiment. Now, their president and CEO is a guy named John Hinderocker, who has been on the board of directors of Freedom Club since at least 2013. That was the earliest back I could find it. They also lockstep politically with uh, everybody else in this network. So the fourth outlet is called, let me see here, I'm like drawing a blank. Oh, Powerline, which is like founded and partially run by the same John Hinderocker, who's the president and CEO of the center and board of directors of Freedom Club, who by all appearances runs Alpha News, whose former writers founded Deplorable Housewives of the Midwest. Now, the all four of these outlets I talk about in that City Pages article that I wrote a couple months ago that sort of kickstarted my interest in this. Um, but the fifth outlet was one that I came across and I wanted to include, kind of, but I wasn't sure how closely it was connected. I mean, these other four are clearly very closely connected. And I wasn't so sure about intellectual takeout, where it sort of fit into this network. Throughout this whole time, I've been thinking of dropping intellectual takeout. It's more posts to read. They tend to be really... Um, pretty far right, even by the uh, standards of the rest of this uh, network. They say like crazy things that are just way out there. We'll talk about one in a minute where they uh, advocated for the abolition of public education. 
And so between being like really weird and extreme and having a super clear connection to the rest of the group, I almost didn't write about him. Their founder is a guy named Devin Foley, who used to work for the Center of the American Experiment a number of years ago, but I didn't know what that connection meant, how closely um, his work on uh, intellectual takeout was connected to his work at the Center. I just wasn't sure. So I've been thinking about dropping him. But just this week, I learned something that made up my mind. Definitely 100% they are worth including. So... um, you may be familiar with a woman named Kim Crockett. Um, a couple months ago, there was a New York Times article titled, These People Aren't Coming from Norway, about um, sort of anti-Somali, anti-immigrant sentiment based in St. Cloud. Uh, now, that title of the article, These People Aren't Coming from Norway, comes from a quote by Kim Crockett. <clears throat> now, Kim Crockett was the vice president and I believe like a senior policy fellow or something at Center of the American Experiment. And because of the attention that this uh, article attracted, um, she was placed on sabbatical from Center of the American Experiment. Now, while she was on sabbatical, (laughs) she wrote news articles for Alpha News. And then I recently learned that she was canned from the center. Um, They just eventually fired her. And I didn't think anything of it, except earlier this week, while I was trying to decide whether or not to include intellectual takeout on the list, I was skimming their staff page when I discovered that their new vice president and senior policy fellow or something, I can't remember exactly what it was called, is Kim Crockett. She uh, just went to work directly for intellectual takeout. Uh, the number two behind Devin Foley, who used to work for Center of the American Experiment. So when you hear me talk about these blogs sort of like uniformly as like a single thing, and when I talk about like the network behind them, um, this is what I'm talking about. These close connections that are in some cases hierarchical, um, very organizational, like Hinderocker and Alex Karam. And also like a little bit more casual, like that Susan Richardson, who like served with the guy who started the Freedom Club, um, who like they clearly move in the same circles. They clearly share an agenda and um, political ideology, and they are clearly writing about a lot of the same things. And we are now definitively, and without a doubt, adding to that list, intellectual takeout. I sat alone inside the car with you, we smoked close cars, and at that moment it was all right. Did you hear about the violent Antifa riots that took place outside the Trump rally the first part of the month? They attacked peaceful Trump supporters as they left the rally, punched women, fornicated in the streets, and threw urine at police. All these allegations are made up, though I only made up one of them. The rest have been circulating on right-wing blogs. Um, I know this was weeks ago, but they're still writing about them. Also to, like, very nakedly advance um, a very particular political agenda, which we're going to talk about um, exactly what I mean by that, because I don't mean that in the abstract. Our saga begins on October 10th, 2019, when Donald Trump came to the Twin Cities to give one of his, like, never-ending campaign rallies. What happened was there's a big protest. Uh, I, I haven't heard an official account, but... People have said, like, thousands of people, maybe 10,000, 15,000, something like that, but I haven't heard an official count. I don't stand by those numbers in the least. Um, So, by and large, that protest was peaceful. Like, uh, in the words of police chief uh, Medario Arredondo, that's a Minneapolis police chief, 
Um, while the vast majority of people that gathered were peaceful and respectful, others did engage with some individuals and groups demonstrating aggressive or illegal behavior. Now, in all fairness to the right-wing blogs, Chief Arredondo did say that things got thrown at the police that may have been urine, but that's the strongest evidence that we're going to talk about that supports their narrative. Um, here's how Jim Walsh of the Min Post wrote about it. To that end, Thursday's protests included the Dump Trump rally outside Target Center and a Minnesota Musicians Against Trump rally, many of which continued into the early hours Friday morning. And then later in the piece, Around 9 p.m., a bonfire of MAGA hats and signs were lit in the middle of the intersection of 6th and Hennepin to a chant of, Hey, hey, ho, ho, Donald Trump has got to go. The cops on horseback pressed the crowd of a few hundred back, spilling most of us, including a guy dressed as Jesus wielding a not-my-president sign, onto the Kieran's Pub patio. That's when the tear gas canisters and pepper spray hit the air, and I and my tongue and eyes had enough. I hung around until the tensions eased up. That's like the most extreme description of the protest I could find. I mean, it's you know, about what you'd expect when thousands of people get together to be mad together. But here's how the right-wing blogs wrote about that incident. Alpha News in particular has written um, almost a dozen articles about it and continued up through this week. They're still writing about it. This isn't something that they pushed immediately and moved on to the next thing. Um, this is something they've been building to. Um, and we're going to talk about what they've been building to in a moment. But, so here's how Alpha News wrote about um, that incident that I've already described. Quote-unquote, first-hand account uh, by one of their reporters. Police primarily acted as barricades and did not engage anyone in the mob as they attempted to riot. In the middle of the dark streets, Antifa thugs and agitators out for blood watched the sidewalks for Trump supporters, and isolated attacks took place. The mob would swarm across the street to any lone individuals they could find. Um, then a little further down, there's this. One man, about 65 years old in a blue jacket, was spotted by protesters who yelled, There's a Nazi over here. He was alone and quickly swarmed by the mob, slapped and sucker-punched several times. A gash bled on his forehead. The mob pushed him aggressively through the streets along the sidewalks, throwing more punches until he was able to escape to the other side of a police barrier. Now, the problem with this, which sort of shines like the whole quote-unquote first-hand account into doubt, is that this is a description of videos that were taken. Like, maybe she was there, but this is like a perfect description of a video um, by Andy No, who was at the rally. Now, No, you may have heard of. He's a right-wing agitator who got like like minor infamy for getting punched at a Trump rally and blah, blah, blah. He was quote-unquote a journalist who then like violent leftist Antifa. Like this is his jam, is um, agitating uh, people on the left during anti-Trump rallies, provoking them to violence or um, like, he was caught on video recently discussing this tactic with um, one of these far-right groups. Um, this isn't like me just making this up. Like he's he's been caught on video saying this is what he does, and he's also been caught uh, editing videos from rallies in um, a misleading way. So the the example that's very clear is there was a Port Woodland rally where uh, there were a bunch of protesters who were crossing the street like they were in the crosswalk. They had the right of way, and a guy in a truck just like hit them pushing somebody, like, with his truck. 
uh, the protesters like swarmed the truck and started pounding on it to try to get him to like stop trying to run this guy over. Um, now Andy No recorded that and edited it down to just the leftist protesters attacking the driver of this truck and presented it as evidence of violence against uh, Trump supporters at a rally. And that's the guy who shot this video that this woman is claiming was a first-hand account. Now, this video, when you watch it, it even feels like it follows this pattern of Andy No. It begins with this guy getting shoved and then stumbling out of a crowd. Now, there's nothing that shows like the initial interaction between him and this crowd. There's just no context to it. And given Andy No's uh, history, it casts the whole thing into doubt. There's another video of the same incident posted by the Daily Caller that starts at the exact same place. Again, they've got a wide shot, the cameras are rolling, and they just skip the entire first part of the altercation. The other thing about it is the video captures this, captures somebody shoving him, and then one of the protesters jumps between the crowd and the old man and puts up his hands and starts going, stop, stop, no, no, don't do this. And as soon as the protester does that, the camera quickly pans away to get him out of the frame. It's eyebrow-raising. We'll just say that. We'll say it's eyebrow-raising. Now, one of the ones they posted uh, immediately, like the first post uh, that they posted, I think it was like 8 a.m., uh, the morning after the rally and the protest, was just a bunch of videos and photos that don't really show much of anything at all. Um, like there's a video of just like a guy in a black shirt and glasses walking past a line of bike cops. I think he has a mustache. I'm not remembering right now, but like what, who cares? Like what? I don't know. Um, but it's accompanied by all these descriptions of purported violence. There's uh, multiple videos of people like burning Trump gear, which we know happened, um, which like I don't have a problem with. I don't think it's that big a deal. Sorry. Uh, there's another like a really super dramatically narrated video from Fox News. He's talking about like, this is Ilhan Omar's district and she won't disavow these people. Oh, the violence. And And you watch the video and it's like, a couple of guys yelling at each other. And this is where that Daily Caller video from like the other, uh, from the other angle, that's where this one shows up. And then there's like lots of photos of like scary young people holding scary socialist signs that say things like, eat the rich and Marx was right. Like again, like just sort of standing there holding signs, looking a little chilly. Cause I think it was a, it was a chilly night, right? Now the next sort of phase of this little saga um, is much less fun. Shortly after they posted that article, um, that was just all the all the videos and everything, they, they basically reposted it uh, about three hours later. And they added a couple things. Like one thing was a video of a black man who calls police officers of color Uncle Tom. But the way that Alpha News described that and wrote about it was that protesters racially attacked African-American police officers. Now, there was one other new part. Um, that was sort of added to this post. Um, and that was this focus on Aisha Gomez. Um, the post was even titled, Minnesota Democratic State Representative Aisha Gomez Participates in Violent Protest. This didn't originate with Alpha News, I, I want to say. The day after the rally at about 5 in the morning, talk radio program that's owned by iHeartRadio posted to their website a series of grainy video captures showing Gomez at the rally. Um, she's wearing a hoodie. Again, it was a chilly night. And a lot of the posts about her make 
like talk about her wearing all black and wearing a hood and just like this very sinister uh, tone. But this, uh, this post that this radio program did was, does the Minnesota House Speaker support Representative Gomez, dressed all in black, wearing a hood, participating in a violent Antifa rally that clashed with MPD? Did any of her other caucus members join in the Antifa protests? And does Governor Walls support DFL legislators joining Antifa in their anti-police riot? And so now minutes later, after uh, this talk radio program posted this, uh, Minnesota State Rep Nick Zerwas tweeted a link to that page along with um, this. A sitting Democrat member of the Minnesota House of Representatives joined forces with Antifa as they attacked Trump rally attendees and the Minneapolis police. So then, this is all at about 5 a.m. still. About 8.30, Alpha made the initial post that was just like all those videos. And then at about 11, they did the repost, the updated headlines that focused on Gomez and used like as a leading image, her official uh, State House of Representatives photo. This is what Alpha News wrote in that gross and tacky post. Due to the violence by the masked left-wing protesters, Minneapolis police were occasionally forced to deploy chemical irritants to subdue and disperse people committing assaults. Representative Aisha Gomez bragged on Twitter that she was able to use her position as a state rep to instruct the mayor of Minneapolis, Jacob Fry, to have the police stand down. And then they use one of these grainy screenshots that originally came from this talk radio news, the website for this talk radio program. And it shows, again, Aisha Gomez just wearing a hoodie. Now, later in that evening, Aisha Gomez posted that she and her family had been targeted with threats of violence because of her participation in the protest. Luckily, uh, nothing's come of it. Uh, her and her family are fine. But these blogs have been like really leaning in hard to this like manufactured narrative of left-wing violence the last couple weeks. Uh, Powerline has posted three times about the rally with headlines uh, that include, last night we saw fascism in the streets, um, how evil is the left, this evil. So that's Powerline. I'm sorry I keep going into all these details. Um, I'm really trying to demonstrate that there, there wasn't, there wasn't widespread violence. The MPD said that. Um, there's no evidence of it. The videos that purport to show it are really misleading and eyebrow-raising, and uh, some of them posted by people who have, like, no credibility specifically in the area of recording violence at left-wing protests. Now, Deplorable Housewives and Center of the American Experience uh, both did two posts each that rehashed a lot of these, like, contextless videos and photos. And, like, mostly the most extreme thing they show is people burning... Donald Trump gear, MAGA hats, and Trump-Pence flags, and shit like that. But Alpha News has done nine posts on the topic, including this week. And that includes the ones I've talked about above. But they, they mostly just rehash the same videos. The one of the, uh, the guy getting shoved, the uh, photos of people holding Marx was right signs. But, like... The most, one of their more recent posts is a rewrite of an earlier Powerline post. So Powerline wrote this post criticizing Star Tribune, and then like a week later, Alpha News wrote basically the exact same article, just like rewrote it. So this one is about uh, how a couple of weeks ago, someone took a clip from an action flick uh, of a dude, I think it was uh, Kingsman, is it, I think? But it's like this action flick of this dude cartoonishly killing a bunch of people. 
it's just an action flick. Um, and they took this video and superimposed Trump's face over, like, the dude pulling the trigger, and took, like, the faces of his political opponents and logos of TV and news networks and put them over the faces of the people he was shooting. Uh, you probably heard about it. Uh, personally, I don't, I don't really give a shit. I, like, I really, <laughs> like, of all the things that Trump has said and done, this seems like a ridiculous one to focus on. But... The Strib didn't agree. The Strib editorial board thought it warranted a condemnation and called it like a new low of Trump's uh, political discourse. So in response to that, Alpha News did their piece, Trump Derangement Syndrome at the Star Tribune. So the Alpha News piece opens with this. It's one thing for a paper to be left-wing and push a Democrat narrative. It's another thing for a paper to be repeatedly dishonest and have a double standard about political violence. The double standard... Uh, was in the Strib's failure to cover violent leftists protesting Trump's October 10th rally in Minneapolis, who threw urine at cops, hit and punched Trump supporters, including women, and chased people down the streets. The Strib didn't condemn these actions whatsoever. And we start to see something that's very problematic, that this extreme right-wing site, um, and I have no qualms about saying that, if you disagree comment. I'd love to explain to you what I'm thinking and why I think that, but I'm just going to say it. This far right-wing news site is attacking a very, like, moderate centrist outlet as being, like, radical leftist and completely untrustworthy. Um, they've spent weeks building this and fabricating this narrative and the story of violence. If, if these blogs are where you get your news, you probably believe that that happened. You probably believe there was like a violent Antifa riot uh, with fires in the streets and roving mobs of teenagers punching old people, you know? And if that were real, it would be, yeah, it would be bad for the strip to not cover it. But, but it's not, as we've talked about for the reasons we've already talked about. But it becomes a tool. It becomes like a further wedge driving people, driving its readers, like, further and further into the bubble that they create and to, like, fully embrace this conservative worldview. Now, that's, like, one of the functions that this, like, fantastical story is serving. Um, the other is, if anything, like, a little bit more serious and more, like, alarming from a certain point of view. Um, so, most recently, Alpha News uh, did a post that was just a call for stories about after-rally violence from protesters. Um, so, they, they like, if you experienced violence at the Trump rally, you don't know, call Seton Law, or whatever the, the law firm was. Um, and they want to, quote-unquote, sue individuals and groups and politicians for not preventing the violence. Now, this post is uh, it's attributed to a guy named Doug Seaton, who's a member of the board of director directors of Center of the American Experiment, um, and he's posting it on behalf of the Upper Midwest Law Center, uh, which uh, says it's a conservative activist law firm. Um, now, their board of directors includes Seaton, who's also on the board of directors of Center, John Hinderaker, who's the president and CEO of the Center of the American Experiment, um, a guy named Rob Ivensanner, who's also on the board of directors of the Center of the American Experiment, and also former GOP gubernatorial candidate Jeff Johnson. There's one or two other people, but I didn't recognize the names. Now, this law firm like explicitly states that their agenda is um, like attacking unions. Uh, they had like four or five points under that, but I just reduced it down to uh, what they say exactly, making new Janus freedoms real for teachers and government workers. 
They also say that they want to protect pipelines and mines and other businesses and citizens from eco-terrorism and politically motivated interference. They want to support election integrity by exposing voter fraud and opposing political propaganda and disciplinary quotas in public schools. You know, I'm pretty sure this last one is... We don't have time to get into that, but it's a whole other thing that these outlets talk about is like this supposed bias in public education that has about as much substance as their allegations of violence at these rallies. But I just want to like take a second here to summarize everything we've talked about. Um, I know there's been like a lot of threads, so I kind of want to like just bring them all together for you. Like in summary, for weeks now, the conservative blog network has been inventing allegations of left-wing violence at the Trump rally. And now they're calling for the public to send them stories about that violence to advance a political agenda of the people who fund and run the blog network without announcing any of the connections, all in the hopes of, uh, and this is what they say exactly, pursuing civil legal action against the individual perpetrators and the Minneapolis politicians and left-wing organizations who are responsible for these actions and or for the failure to enforce the law. This is very clearly a political agenda um, and a political move being undertaken by a, an organization that's very closely allied with the Minnesota GOP. And they've been using these blog networks to fabricate these stories and are now using them to like generate the um, substance so that they can then pursue this legal strategy. If you're not prepared to call these blogs propaganda by this point, that word has no meaning. Okay, the read of the week comes from Intellectual Takeout. It's called Chicago Teachers Strike Shows Why We Don't Need Public Schools. Um, it's written by a woman named Carrie McDonald, who, according to her bio, has a master's degree in education policy from Harvard University. And the entire piece is her arguing against public education. Her argument for it is that if we look at Chicago and the teacher strikes going on, we see that there's many organizations stepping up to offer a safe place for children to gather. They've got YMCAs, which have 11 locations across Chicago. Boys and Girls Clubs, the City Aquarium is offering immersive exploration opportunities for the children. Other science organizations are doing the same. There's sports camps, there's churches and religious organizations stepping up, and Chicago libraries, who are open to everyone. Because children have somewhere to go during the teacher strike, Carrie McDonald argues, it proves that we don't need public education. 